0: Um, I have just two disclaimers because I know that we have um, some people here today that are new, maybe your first time. Um, if if I get loud, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. okay um, I just like when I talk about things like this, uh, sometimes I just get elevated and um, it's just the way it is. So I'm um, not angry. I'm not scolding you. Uh, that doesn't mean God's not. And then, um, if I spit, also, I'm not mad at you. All right. See, you always got to get some kind of laugh because I am a wreck when I get up here. Now, now it's like, okay. Now, now we can go. So, uh, this is going to be our text for today. Uh, kind of a theme text that we're going to move off of, uh, into other areas. Um, it is this uh the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in Christ Jesus our lord you guys remember that the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life through Christ Jesus our lord that is in romans 623 um if if you want to find it um but that's kind of going to be our our theme text of what we're going to talk about today um, I absolutely love Easter. I like I heard with you guys um, have fond memories of it uh, as a kid growing up. Um, do you know why I love Easter? I love Easter um, because I love the resurrection. Do you know why I love the resurrection? because I hate death. Can I get an amen yeah. I hate death when I was a uh, uh, seven um, my uh my grandfather died my dad's dad on that side and um it wasn't that i hadn't had anyone in my family close to me die prior to that it was just that that was the one where i was actually at an age where um it like scarred me um where i started to think about things in life and realities in life and processing what that meant when somebody died and uh, i i i loved my grandpa Um, every time we'd go to grandma and grandpa's house, which they lived in Bishop, California. So we'd travel from LA up there as often as we could after they retired. Um, I would go, the first place I would go was to grandpa's chair and it would be up into grandpa's lap because he smoked a pipe and I loved the smell of his pipe smoke. And, um, he was just so cool. He was so loving. Um, and he had this little desk right next to his chair, um, with a, with a drawer in it. And, um, inside that drawer was gas. And all that meant is that at all times he kept the role of, like, butterscotch lifesavers in there, and he called it gas. And so he would give me gas, you know. Um, and, um, and I loved it. it was, it's one of my fondest memories. Um, my grandpa was a master storyteller. We would have these huge um, family campouts up in the Sierras where we'd have 40, 60 people from our family show up to these things. And it didn't matter if you were young or old. When we sat around that fireplace, that fire pit at night, my grandfather would tell stories. Everybody was captivated. He was a master storyteller. Um, and then also, of course, he was a master fisherman. Um, some of uh, my earliest memories of fishing was him. He taught me, uh, you know, how to, how to tie a hook. He taught me how to cast my line. Uh, he taught me how to clean the catch. You know, all those things. And it just, um, really stung when I was seven and I'm processing my grandpa being gone that I would, that I would never get to crawl up onto his lap again. That, that he would never give me gas again. <laughs> you know, that I would, that I would never hear, um, his stories again or go fishing with him again. And I've hated death ever since. Statistically, One out of every one person will die. (laughs) You're welcome. It's free. (laughs) Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for all men to die once, and then the judgment. If there is a dark inevitability that we have as humans, a certain truth that no human can escape, it's the truth that we're all going to die too. The question is why? And this is, I think, what went through my head most when I was that age. Why does death exist? Why is death even a thing? If you had to sum up the Bible in five seconds, you could do it like this. The Bible is the story of two men and their effects on mankind. The first man wrecking everything, the second man fixing it. Now you know the entire Bible from cover to cover. These men are Adam and Jesus. One is the death bringer, and the other is the life bringer. Just as we hear in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here's the Reader's Digest version of the first Adam. Adam was the first man. That's actually what the the name Adam means. It just means mankind. God made him from the dust of the ground, breathed life into him, set him over creation to enjoy it and to have dominion over it. His wife Eve, courtesy of God, would soon follow. And that is a courtesy because men, we all know that it is not good for... Man to be alone. A woman answered that. <laughs> they were perfect. Everything was good. Death did not exist. They were told by God to be fruitful and multiply and to stay off of one tree. And they disobeyed because we all know that it's not enough to have a hundred of something. We, we need that thing that we can't have. Right? And so Satan comes, and he deceives them, he lies to them, and they ate, and they died. Not right away, but that day, death entered their bloodstream, and the sand started to slip through the hourglass of their lives. Not only did they die, but from there on out, all men died, because the curse is hereditary. This is why death exists. Sin is hereditary, and death is the result of sin. And ever since this first man, Adam, fell in sin that day, you and I, and everyone that's lived before us, have had to become acquainted with things like funerals, and wakes, and burials, and grief, and mourning, and loss, and pain. And suffering. It is one of the harshest realities of life. Is death. And because of that, we've tried to soften it. Sometimes we're in denial of the, the brutality of death. And what it is. We try not to think about it. We attempt to redefine it. We call death services celebrations of life. Which is okay. Okay. We can celebrate people's lives, but but the word celebration and life is not going to ease the feelings of grief and despair from our souls. We attempt to focus on a time that we had with them while they were still alive, and rightly so, we should, but that cannot erase the fact that it's over and we cannot have them back. We say things like, so-and-so is right here with us right now, Or so-and-so is watching over us because it makes us feel better as if that person is not gone? That's a horrible idea, by the way. I hope none of my relatives are watching my life. We do it to ease the sting. We do it to relieve the pain of loss. Why? Because death sucks. It's the worst And yet death exists for every man because sin exists in every man due to the first man. Aren't you glad you came today? (laughs) Happy Easter. Adam brought death into the world as a result of sin. And the wages, the payment for sin, is death, which is why death exists. What's the next word in that verse? But the most glorious three-letter word in the entire Bible. Because it infers, it implies that there's another option. That there's something else. This is why I woke up today. This is what gets me out of bed every day. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Enter the better Adam. The one who Paul in Romans chapter 5 calls the second Adam. The one who will be the first of his kind in a different way. The one who will undo the works of sin and death brought into the human race through the first Adam. The Son of God come down from heaven. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children, that's you and I, share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, Likewise, partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death. That is the devil. And that's what we're rejoicing in on this day. Satan might have got the best at Jesus in Gethsemane, but at Calvary, Jesus buried Satan once and for all. In other words, God the Son would have to, according to Hebrews 2.14, become one of us in order to save us. Jesus would have to become like Adam so that He could die like Adam. But in order for Jesus to die for the human race, He had to first live for the human race. Sin-free. He had to identify with us by being tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Though Jesus was God in the flesh, He felt and He withstood and He experienced every single thing that you and I do as human beings. He fully identifies with us. He went through all the stuff this world and its ugliness throws at us as part of becoming like us and ultimately living for us. And what I want to do is take the rest of our time at looking at a few ways that Jesus is the better Adam. The first way that Jesus is the better Adam is in temptation. And some of these are going to be quick. And there's a lot more than what I'm going to mention today. This is actually a killer study. If you guys are ever on your own and you want a good devotion, a good Bible study, look at the parallels between Adam and Jesus. The first one is Jesus is the better Adam in temptation. Adam collapsed underneath the temptation of Satan. Jesus stood up underneath it. Adam stood by and said nothing as the serpent reeled his wife in. You know what that sin is called? The sin of omission. The sin of commission is when we do things that we shouldn't do. The sin of omission is when we don't do things that we should do. And Adam is guilty as sin because he stood by, instead of protecting his wife, And he watched this whole dialogue go down. And they questioned the truths of God. Adam said nothing and ate. You know what Jesus did? When Satan took him out into the wilderness to tempt him, 40 days in, he held fast to the truths of God instead of questioning them. And he concluded by looking at Satan, that serpent of old, utterly hungry, utterly thirsty, utterly weary. And he said, be gone. And Satan left. Jesus stood up underneath the temptation of Satan. And in that, Jesus is the better Adam in temptation. Uh, The next one is Jesus is the better Adam in the curse. The curse is that negative result that ca- happened as a result of the fall. Remember, Adam and Eve fell? God came, and He handed down sentences as a result of the disobedience. First to Satan, then to the woman, then to Adam. And to Adam, the curse, the sentence that was handed down is that there would be some things that change in life and how life is done, right? In Genesis 3, God says to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it, for it will bring forth, what? Thorns and thistles. In other words, to live will be painful and hard. Well, the man Jesus identified with this, course, this curse of thorns and thistles, didn't He? Like in a big way. In a much fuller way. Then Adam, he experienced this curse because a crown of thorns that were roughly one inch long and super sharp would be twisted down onto his head where he would travel with it, digging into his skull with every vibration of every step and every fall for almost a mile to his place of death. Jesus labored and toiled under thorns and thistles in a way that nobody else ever has. But it is through the curse of thorns and thistles that Jesus was crowned King. Jesus became the King of sinners by wearing the crown of Adam's curse. The next one that that God hands down to Adam there in Genesis chapter 3 is this. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. In other words, you're going to labor hard to live. The night which Jesus was betrayed, He was in a garden. Laboring in prayer because of what was before Him. He's asking the Father that if it's possible at all to change or remove or erase that thing that was at his doorstep, the cross. The text actually says, he was laboring so bad in this prayer, it says in Luke, being in agony, that's the word, being in agony... Sweat fell like great drops of blood to the ground. This is how hard Jesus would labor over His task due to the curse. The Scripture says to Adam, By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread. Jesus experienced this, but by the sweat of His face, He Himself became the bread of life for each of us, for all of us. Jesus is the better Adam in the curse. The next one is, Jesus is the better Adam with the tree. This one's obvious. You know where I'm going with this. Jesus is the better Adam with the tree. Adam used it to bring death into the world. Jesus used it to bring life. Satan used it to kill the human race. Jesus used it to redeem the human race. Jesus drugged that tree... On his back, pinned to it, so that you and I may be set free from the curse that came from it. You can clap for that if you want to. (laughs) The tree was an instrument of death that God turned into an instrument of life. And in that, Jesus is the better Adam with the tree. Praise God. Next, Jesus is the better Adam with covering. And I want to spend a little more time on this one. In fact, um, this is the one I really want you to pay attention to. Jesus is the better Adam with covering. There is this theme throughout the Bible of being clothed. Not in a spiritual or a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. In a sense of righteousness, we must be clothed. We must be clothed in righteousness in order to have relationship with God. And the problem is that Adam blew our cover. When Adam fell, something immediately occurred to him and his wife. What was it? It says that their eyes were open and they realized they were naked in the shame. And my question is, who do you suppose they felt Naked in front of? Each other? The animals? I don't like that way that squirrel's smiling at me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they were naked and ashamed before righteousness, God. Righteousness. And so, they made themselves a covering, right? They covered up, and they hid. God knows what they've done, but God's so gentle, patient with us. I think He just wanted to hear what they had to say about what happened. And so He asks them. And then He goes and He replaces their covering because it was no covering at all. And he provides one through death, the shedding of blood. This is the first animal sacrifice in the Bible. This work by God was not a permanent fix. It was a prophetic word that pointed to a future permanent fix. This act by God said, your covering's not good enough. I'll provide you with one. Enter Jesus Christ, the better Adam. The free gift of God. Did you know that crucifixion was a stripped down affair? You know, our our pictures and our paintings that we look at um, really soften the crucifixion. Like they really dumb it down like we do with everything else. Because... Something that's present every single time you look at a picture of Jesus on the cross is what? A cloth right across his midsection, which is appropriate, right? But not true. Think about that for a minute. The Son of God hung fully exposed and fully naked on the cross. See, that was the whole point of crucifixion. This is why it was such a part of the reason it was such a cursed way to die, to hang on a tree like that. Because not not only was the point of crucifixion to, to to give the most painful, excruciating death that would play out as long as it possibly could, how long can we keep somebody alive as we kill them? That was the point of crucifixion. But also its point was to provide mass humiliation to the person at the same time. And so these people would hang on the cross for sometimes days as they died, naked. And they would be urinating on themselves and defecating on themselves and they would be seen in plain sight by everybody, by the public, including our Jesus. And here's what what we see in this. It's through Jesus being fully naked, And fully exposed that we become fully clothed. Adam stripped us down and Jesus being stripped down covered us. What a glorious thing. If you're not covered by the person and work of Christ Jesus, you're not covered. You're naked before God. You think you are. You think you're covered because you did that good deed last week, and you gave to a charitable cause, and you're sitting in church this morning, and you pick up your Bible every once in a while, and you go out of your way to help a stranger. You know what that is? That's all patchwork. That's you being Adam. And saying, Oh, I got this, and I got and I got this. This is the most important thing that I had to share with you this morning because this is where even the church in America today gets the gospel wrong. I want you to hear the real gospel today. I don't want there to be any question in your mind or any excuse about how somebody is saved. I want you to know. Most people think that you become a Christian by doing what Adam did. By covering yourself up in your own righteousness. By providing your own cover. The problem is that is dead wrong. Do you know how the Bible describes our righteousness? I've already already said a few things I probably shouldn't have. I might as well add this one. (laughs) The Bible says that man's righteousness is like dirty or filthy rags. These are not your dad's rags that he used out in his garage. These are rags that women use during their menstrual cycle. And God says, that is your best. And what we're doing then is we're taking these blood-drenched, filthy rags, and we're holding them up to God, and we're saying, this is why you should love me. I'm covered. Pretty sick, isn't it? The Bible tells us that God requires us to be righteous, completely, 100%, 100% of the time, righteous. That's the standard. And our natural response is, okay, I'll do it. I'll take a run at that. I'll give it my best. I'll try harder. I'll live more for you today, Lord, than I did yesterday. But our best isn't good enough. All we're doing is piecing ourselves together. We're still fully exposed before God because our own righteousness is not righteousness. It's like trying to clean off our skin in an oil pit. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. Charles Spurgeon's rad. We've said that before, right? dude something. The man who clings to his own righteousness is like a man who grasps a millstone to prevent himself from sinking in a flood. Brilliant! That's, You guys get that picture, that imagery? Like, we wouldn't do that, would we? So why do we do it with our righteousness? All we're doing at that point is trying to find redemption after the order of the first Adam while rejecting the free gift of the second Adam. It's contra-Christian. This, people, is actually how to not become a Christian. Pastor Terry sent me a quote this week. I love it. Dude named Michael Horton. He says, if we think the main mission of the church is to improve life in Adam and add a little moral strength to this moral evil age, we have not yet understood the radical condition for which Christ is such a radical solution. That's good stuff. If we want to be covered, we must come to terms with the reality that we're naked. 28 years ago, God jacked me up. I was doing six months in an 8x8 concrete cell. And they gave me a Bible and a deck of cards. Like, can you believe that? You want to talk about God ambushing somebody? Nowhere to go. No drugs to do. No bags to chase. No people to talk to. No movies to see. Just me in this room with a Bible. It's brilliant. <laughs> and as I started to read this Bible, something started to happen to me. I didn't know this at the time, but afterward I would realize that I wasn't there wasn't just one person in that room. And as I'm reading it, I'm seeing myself and everything I've ever hid behind or justified myself by being stripped away, being pulled off of me, being fully exposed by the truth of God's Word. And when I became fully exposed and had nothing left to hide behind or run to, I saw Him. I saw my need for Him. And I saw His radical provision for me. I had to go to jail to be a free man. The point of the story is not that you do too. Hey, the pastor said, we got to go to jail to meet Jesus. (laughs) No, you don't. It's a bad way to do it. The point is that you need to realize that you are completely naked before God so that you will then be able to receive the goodness of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's why this day matters. That's what was done today. Jesus is better than Adam with covering. And finally, Jesus is better Adam in death. Kind of coming full circle here. Genesis chapter 5, verse 4. I need water before we do this one. Genesis chapter 5 verse 4 reads like this. The days of Adam after the father, after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and then he died. That's it. And then he died. No do over, no respawns, no second chances, just done. Listen to this. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, "'Why do you seek the living among the dead?' I get chills every time I read it. (laughs) He is not here, but He is risen. Jesus is the better Adam in death. Adam died. Jesus, brothers and sisters, is alive. We are all born into Adam, but we are all invited into Jesus. And this is the glory of Easter. Chocolate rabbits, candy-filled baskets, that stuff's rad and all, but not this rad. (laughs) We are all born into sin and death, but we are all invited to life. We are all invited to live. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5 concerning Adam and Jesus. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. It's Adam. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. First Adam. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus. Jesus is the better Adam with death. There are two teams. And there are two options for the human race. Team Adam and Team Jesus. The question this morning for each of us is, which team am I on? Team guilty or Team forgiven? Team forgiven just has a better ring to it. (laughs) (laughs) Team death or Team life? We celebrate Easter because Easter gives us an empty tomb, not an occupied one. Death conquered, Satan defeated, once for all, for all those who believe. This is the gospel. You cannot have the gospel in the cross without the resurrection, and you cannot have the gospel in the resurrection without the cross. They are two and the same. See, on the cross, Jesus wrote the check. Right? Those wages that were due. When he got up and he vacated the tomb, the check cleared. Does that make sense? And life came to all men. From a life giver. From the one who conquered death. And this is what is offered to you this morning. If you will strip yourself from your cover and be naked before Him. Spiritually repentance is not a bad word it's a beautiful word you know why because it's something that offers something other than where we're at it it allows us to go a different way it allows us to have something that we wouldn't otherwise have god grants you repentance through jesus christ will you take it confession is a beautiful word not a bad one because it means that i can be cleansed through it why would i think that's bad And this is the cry to you this morning. It's to repent, stop going away from Him, and go toward Him, and believe in what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. Happy Easter. Lord God, thank You for who You are and what You've done. We thank You that the world is completely and utterly changed because of this one act that it is a historic fact that your tomb is empty and they were never able to produce a body. And that's because you're at the right hand of God. And we worship you and we praise you for redeeming the world and paying the price for sinners like us. In your name, amen.